Well, good morning. Good to see all of you here this morning. I wanted to start by uh, introducing a few new members to, the, uh, to, to you. And so we have um, eight new members that, if you're here, when I call your name, if you would stand and maybe remain standing for just a moment. Um, so Mike and Danita Andrews, Daniel and Kim Portali, Albert and Suzanne Rosales, Brian Curtis, and Jessica Long. Okay, so great. There's some in the back there. And all right. And the others, they were in first service, I believe. And so um, what, what, these, um, what this group of people have done is they've walked through the process of becoming members, which what that means is they've been a part of uh, OCC Preview and then Class 101, and they've completed the membership um, process. We have a mission that, that they've all committed to. You guys, I appreciate you. You were staying standing strong. You're like, okay, he should let us sit down. Um, so please be seated. <laughs> um, here's our mission and our core values. This is what these folks have committed to. Um, they're, they've banded with us towards this mission, to know, love, and glorify God, and to be used by him to help all people to know Jesus Christ and to become fully devoted followers of him. This is what we're aiming to do as a church. From the start of when we began and this is, this is our marching orders given from Jesus himself. This is, this is the plan for what a church um, is focusing on. This is our specific mission. And, and then the core values, these are our, our core values. We call them the OCC heart attitudes. There's seven of them. And so this is the commitment that they've also made, which is um, put the goals and interests of others above my own, live an honest and open life before others, give and receive scriptural correction, um, clear up relationships, participate in the ministry of the church, support the work financially, and then follow spiritual leadership within scriptural limits. All of these are based off of New Testament commands that, that you know, if you follow Christ, these are things that you're called to anyways. We just decide to really say this is how we're going to define church life and our values. And so these set the boundaries for a lot in church life for our relationships and for our commitments um, to the church as a whole. So I'm just really pleased that you guys have decided to step um, in, in, you know, forward into membership, and um, I want to pray for, for all of you before we head into our service. Let's pray. God, thank you for this uh, new group of members. Thank you for their, just their heart to um, join with us here, Lord, as we've set our focus on your mission, ultimately to help all people to know Jesus and to become fully devoted followers of him. That's our desire, Lord. We thank you for this group that is... Um, joining with us and banding with us. Lord, I pray that they would play their part in that mission, that we would be faithful to them to support them in their growth, Lord, that we would see them grow up in you and mature in you, and that year after year the life that they live would be different from the previous year because they're, they're yielded to you and then they're investing themselves in a congregation that's aiming to help them grow to full maturity. Lord, help us um, to be faithful to them and then also pray that for them as they aim to keep their commitments, Lord, um, to the congregation, Lord, that you would, um, that this would be just um, a major commitment, Lord, that shapes the direction of their life and their future. Thank you for each person that's here joining with us this morning. Thank you for our guests that are here today. Lord, I pray you'd speak to each one of us as we open up your word. We want to understand who you are. We want to understand how to live our lives in line with your word and your ways. So it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we are wrapping up today looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is, it is, a, 
It's found in Matthew 5 through 7, and we've been looking at how Jesus' followers live an upside-down type of life. Um, In the sermon, he lays out just how different it would be to follow him. He offers, really, the chance of a lifetime for a number of things. And so, quickly, just to pull up where we've been in this series, we've looked at the chance that he offers for peace with people, for impact in the way that we live in the world, uh, for, for prayer, really approaching God for the things that we need and the things you know, that he wants to do in our lives, and then also for freedom as it relates to our stewardship and stewarding the money that he's um, provided and just the way that generosity um, gives us a new chance in life in that area. Then last week we looked at for focus, how, how to not allow worry to rob us and steal our focus um, away from today. Worry can, can rob us of, of some things, but more than anything, can we lose the present. We lose the opportunities that he's provided. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at the Jesus, uh, Jesus' description of the road that we take if we choose to follow him. And up to this point, some of the things that he's been sharing have been, uh, you know, you, you read these passages and you're like, I want that. It's, it, he's been presenting really an ideal way of living. And even though it's flipped upside down from what we would say is native and normal for the way we would want to do life, he flips our, our view upside down and he presents and calls us towards something much higher. Most of what he's presenting, we want. We want peace in relationships. We want to make an impact with our lives. We want to know that we can pray and, and that he would answer and that we'd pray in line with his will and his kingdom. Um, up until this part of the message, I'd say most of it is, you know, there's some shocking statements he, that he makes, but most of the statements... Um, that he makes um, aren't aren't as much as what he's about to say. He, he really draws a hard line at this point, and he he says, "I've I've expressed what it means to live in this kingdom, and now who's in?" He draws a line and he invites people to cross that line and actually choose to follow him. Um, he doesn't want people to be surprised about following him, and so he's laying out in this passage the cost of a disciple, the cost of following Jesus. Whenever you start a project around the house, the first thing you want to check is whether or not you have enough money to buy the materials that you actually need to build that. And you might have this elaborate plan for a great project, but you know, I need to know that I've got the resources to complete the project. Jesus wanted them on the mountainside there in, in this sermon, and also us. He wants us to know what it costs and what to expect if we want to follow him, both the good and the bad. And so really that's where we come to in this part of the passage. Um, so in this last part, we're just looking at the cost. What does it mean to follow Jesus? So let's start at the top of your listening guide. If you follow Jesus, you should expect, number one, to be in the minority. To be in the minority. Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. It says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. You see, he's saying the crowd, the world, it's, it's going the other direction. The majority of people are moving in another direction. Look at verse 14. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. He's talking about entrances and then ways of living. What's the right entrance and what's the right road to, to walk on? What's the, the right path to set your life on. One of the major reasons why Jesus' followers are few is because his followers are those people who delay gratification in the pursuit of a greater reward for something in eternity. You you say no to some things here and now. You say no to some of the things 
that you can see right now in order to trust God to give you a reward that you can't see, but that he's promised. It's a scary thing to do, to trust him in that way. But you delay gratification. Well, doing that sets you in the minority in the world. Because in our world, we want it now. We want everything now. In Christ's followers, we live by faith, that trusting God that he will make all things right and good in eternity. This is true related to all of the issues that Jesus addressed in the sermon. Related to relationships, oaths, persecution, keeping my word, stewardship, worry, fear, and on and on. His ways of living, what those things do is they thin out the crowd to a smaller group. Because to follow him keeps you in the minority. A lot of things he says in the sermon, it kind of challenged people and it would thin out the crowd. You can imagine people were like, okay, I trusted him up to that point. I trusted it, but then he addressed this issue. And And we all have our issues that maybe we would say, we want to hold back from God. His ways of living thin out the crowds. And so this focused few have an agenda. When he talks about you know, those who find the road to life and enter the right gate, those who find it are a few. That focused few have an agenda of seeking and then building on God's kingdom, doing, out, doing his righteousness rather than demanding our agenda, our will, our way, and our plan. The focused few sets out to accomplish God's plan, not their own. Now, this is what makes it the narrow, difficult path for a Christ follower. And he says those who, who find it, you know, it's, it's just a few. What that means is they are few is that it isn't easily made visible. It's not easily made visible. It's the opposite way that the world is going. When everyone is moving in this direction, it's hard to find a different way to focus your life. It's hard to see the right road if all, you know, if all the masses are flowing opposite to that. It's going to be easy to miss, he's saying. You don't, and you don't come through that gate. You don't enter through that gate with a group of people. You don't enter that gate to begin a relationship with him because of your family. You enter that gate alone. That's part of what makes it costly. To follow Jesus, sometimes that means rejection. Sometimes that means ridicule. Sometimes that costs you relationships. And, and oftentimes, there's some things you'll miss out on in this life. It's because you're focused on the eternal reward. And your perspective is set on walking by faith here and now. And if you follow Christ, though, Jesus is saying, look, expect to be in the minority. Also, second thing here, if you follow Christ, you should be on guard against false teaching. Pay attention to who you listen to. Pay attention to the teaching that you take in. False prophets chase people through the wide gate and down the wrong road. It's called the easy way. False prophets, false teachers, they chase people down the wrong road. Check out what he told his disciples. This is verse 15. Beware of false prophets. Those who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. He gives this this warning. This is people that claim to be from God and speak They claim to speak on God's account and on his behalf, uh, but they're wolves, he said. In Palestine, the wolves were the most common enemy of sheep. And the wolves would roam the the hills and search through the valleys looking for a sheep that had strayed away from the flock or lagged behind. And when it found one, it would tear it to pieces. That was what the wolves would do. And so Jesus, he says, beware of the false prophets, the false teachers who claim to be, you know, from God. Their intention is actually to chase people towards the wrong road that leads to destruction. 
We have to be on the lookout. Verse 16 says this. You will recognize this group by their fruits. You pay attention to the way that they live their lives. You pay attention to the... You have to get close enough to see who they are, what their lives are really about. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree, verse 18, cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. So he says, examine the fruit of the life of your influence. You know, whoever's influencing you, your influencers, your teachers, your prophets in life. Evaluate the fruit of their life. Listen carefully to what they say. This goes for who you listen to on the radio. This goes for the books that you read. There's a lot of books that are in the, in the Christ section or the Christian section that really don't belong in that section. And you start browsing through them, you see, wow, this is really this is based off a different Jesus, apparently. Or this is, this is, this is, they got their own version of the Bible that they must be reading. Um, this goes for radio. This goes for televangelists. I'm not saying all. I'm just saying Jesus is saying pay attention to false prophets. Beware. Watch out. Verse 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down. It's thrown into the fire. Verse 20, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. False prophets, he's saying this group of people, they add to the difficulty of truly following Jesus because they're chasing people down the wrong road. What kinds of roads? Well, false prophets say this. They say, you can pick any path. It's all going to go the same place. That's, that's a lie. But there are people that are saying, hey, it doesn't really matter what you believe. Just believe it with all your heart. And God is he's a loving God. And in the end, it'll all, he'll make it all good. Well, that sounds really good if I want to do some things in my life that Christianity might restrict. If I could just pick any path, man, that sure sounds great. That's a nice offer. Another lie that's out there being um, you know, offered by false prophets is your sin does not matter. There's no price. There's little price, if any, to pay for your sin. It doesn't really matter. And so there's a, there's a downplaying of our sin and conviction. And, and it's all about just the way we feel and how we feel and our emotions. And I have a quote from the wife of the, the, wife of the pastor of the largest church in our country. And you may have seen this. It's kind of floating through the Internet right now. But I found the, the video on YouTube. This is from Joel Osteen's wife. Now, Joel Osteen is the pastor of the largest church in America, Lakewood Church in Houston. His wife, Victoria, said this, and she's one of the co-pastors of their church. This is before he got up to preach. He was right behind her on the stage, giving approval, nodding approval to what she was saying here. She said, I just want to encourage every one of us to realize when we obey God, we're not doing it for God. I mean, that's one way to look at it. We're doing it for ourselves because God... He takes pleasure when we're happy. That's the thing that gives him the greatest joy. I, I, <laughs> she continues. Read, read on. She continues. So I want you to know this morning, just do good for your own self. Do good because God wants you to be happy. When you come to church, when you worship him, you're not doing it for God really. Wow. You're doing it for yourself because that's what makes God happy. Amen? Don't say amen to that. That's a lie. Amen? Amen. (laughs) You know, does God care about my happiness? He does, but you know what he cares more about? My holiness. 
whenever the gospel places man at the center of the universe, um, that's a false gospel. It, the gospel is not all about me. It's not all about me. It's not all about you. God is trying to work some things out in this world. This is all about God. He, he, he began everything. He was there in the beginning. He was not a created thing. We are created things. He loves us. We are of his creation. We're his prized possession. So there is high value, but it's not all about us. And so when you worship, don't worship for yourself. This, see, what Jesus is saying is false teachers can chase people onto a broad road that ultimately leads to destruction. You're, to follow false teaching puts you potentially in a dangerous place where you're trusting in yourself and where life is all about you. And then in the end, you find yourself severely disappointed. Jesus tells us, beware, beware. Now, in every century, there's been people that have been saying things that aren't true. This word beware, it means pay attention. In other words, don't let your mind slip. Don't, don't let your mind stop thinking and let other people think for you. Check it out. Verify what's being said. Now, I was thinking as I researched the quote there, I thought, well, maybe there's a retraction I can find. Maybe there's, there, maybe there's a, oops, I shouldn't have said that clip I can find. Well, no, I couldn't find that. Well, it's because that's the pattern of the gospel that is being preached in some cases. And so there are many false prophets who claim to speak the truth about God and his ways, but they're actually speaking lies and speaking deceit. And the problem is that false teaching, what happens is it may have an idea or two that really match up with the Bible and with what God says, but when you begin to scratch below the surface, you actually compare it with what the Bible teaches, the similarities begin to fade away. And, you realize, and this is, this, there's, there's much more blatant groups that teach falsely, and then there's subtle groups like that. The problem is, and I ordinarily don't, I'm not, I'm not on a campaign to expose false prophets. I don't think I've ever, you know, stated anything about any other pastor like that. That's uh, a pastor's wife, but we need to pay attention. Jesus says, beware. The problem is, buying into those beliefs, this chases people down a road. And it may seem like just a minor thing to elevate ourselves to the level of what she is stating there. But that minor thing, the belief that's off, it's, you know, it's off. It may seem, oh, it's just a little off, a little over 15 to 20 years. That, that's a huge distance. And we find ourselves far from God's trajectory for his plan for where he would want us. Now, out of love, Jesus, he invites us to follow him and to not be fooled. And his love has this irresistible quality, but he will not force us to follow him. You don't enter the gate by sneaking into the gate. Verse 13 where he says, enter through the narrow gate. You don't enter that gate by sneaking in to the kingdom of God. You don't enter in by casually sliding into the kingdom of God. You actually commit your life to follow him. You commit to him. There's this defining moment in our life when you make a major definitive commitment to Jesus. And sometimes I talk to people and they're not really sure if they ever had. And then some people, they know that they have made this major definitive commitment. And, you know, it looks different for some. Some people do it at church. Some people do it in the quietness of their home. Some people do it on the side of the road. Some people 
are guided by someone else in prayer, but they're really ready to respond to Jesus. But there's this major defining commitment that guides our life from that point forward. doesn't mean that you're in perfection from that point, because we know that's not the case, and we're going to talk about that. But at the point when you respond to his offer to follow him, you enter that gate. And some of you might be staring right now. You're, you're, it's almost like you're staring at the threshold, and you sense that you've come to a decision point with Jesus, almost like you're standing outside and you're looking in and you're considering. I don't know if I'm ready to make this commitment. It's going to cost me too much. Jesus put it this way in Revelation 3.20. Revelation 3.20, speaking to a church who was lukewarm, riding the fence. It was as if there was no one truly following him. And Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. It could be that you, you, know, you could really identify and you feel like this is where you're at. You hear God, his voice and his call on your life. But you recognize, I've never really entered that gate. I'm still on the outside looking in. I'm undecided. Others have already entered that gate. You've already chosen to become a Christ follower, and that might, that might be you. And all of your life, when choices come up that pull you towards the majority and towards the crowd, you just keep on choosing the narrow way. You keep choosing. You know, and this is tempting. And sometimes you start walking down the wrong road, but conviction sets in. The Holy Spirit draws us towards the truth, and we start moving on that narrow path away from the crowds again. Now the day is coming when Jesus will separate those who are truly his and those who are not his. And he will receive, Scripture says, for all eternity, those who are his. So if you follow Jesus, this third thing, he will honor your choice for all eternity. If you choose to follow him, he will honor that choice, that defining choice and commitment for all eternity. Look at what he says in verse 21 through 23. Verse 21 through 23 this gets very, he starts speaking of separating his, you know, separating out those who are truly his. Not everyone, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Verse 23, and then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I've known many people who mull for years on the decision to follow Jesus, and they've actually already chosen not to follow him. They've chosen not to follow him, and they're choosing whether or not they want to follow him. But I've met many who've been indecisive on this issue. However we choose to respond, Jesus' offer is, hey, I'll honor that choice for all eternity. This is not something that any of us really like to think about or consider. Also, there's confusion because when you read through this passage, according to this verse, there's this mixture of people in the church. You see, he allows the church to be a gathering of people who are mixed together, but our personal relationship to him is what makes the difference. Look at what it says again in verse 23. I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. He's saying God wasn't really guiding your life. We said, Lord, Lord. We professed that at one point. He's saying, well, there's there's something going on here, but there's a disconnect to the way that their life is lived. And at the end, he just says, depart from me. 
God, what you ruled yourself. You were workers of lawlessness. You, you called your own shots. You were your own ruler. You had your own laws apart from God's laws. The key issue is, is this. It's do you know him personally? Have you surrendered to him personally? Not do you know about him. Not do your friends know him. Not do you come and learn and listen and feel like, man, I'm, I got some good things today. Not even do you serve Jesus. It's not even about that. Not, not do you serve or do you do things for God. It's not about my parents. You don't get in through association. That's not going to be enough when Jesus separates his people. The real issue will be, do you know him personally? Is this just a religious experience to you? If it is, we, we urge you to enter through that narrow gate and get on the right road walking with Jesus. Knowing him, when he's talking about I never knew you, knowing him equals doing his will. I want to explain what I mean by this so you're not confused. Verse 21, if you, if you look at what verse 21 says, those who know him in verse 21, it says that they are the ones who do the will of the Father. Those who, who truly know Jesus, they're the, ones who li- they're the ones who live it out. Doing his will is not what saves any of us. We need to be clear. That's doing God's will doesn't save us, but it's the evidence that you're truly his. It's the evidence. It's the fruit of a surrendered life. You really knew him. You did his will. You didn't do it perfectly. None of us do this side of heaven. But you did his will. As a Christ follower, all of our lives we find ourselves wrestling down our own will in order to keep God's will the priority of our life. And as Jesus wraps up the sermon, he draws a really important conclusion. Here it is. If you follow him, then your life will have a solid foundation. Verse 24 through 27. He, he paints a picture and he asks people, imagine what the future can hold for your life. There's two options. Verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine, now this is at the end of his sermon, you've heard a lot, it's like, now everyone who hears all that I've said, who hears these words of mine, and does them will be like a wise man. The one who hears and does will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew, and beat on that house, this is all the, the trials of life, and it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. But then he says, verse 26, and everyone, again, those who hear the words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Your life will stand the test of time to the extent that you build on Jesus' words. You build your life on what he has to say. He's saying, look, you can stake your life on my will and my kingdom. So what, what does this mean? What does this mean for us today? He comes to the end of the sermon. He really he draws this huge line for his listeners and really for us. And it's, it's this way. It goes down this way. Number one, make sure that you don't miss the gate. Make sure you understand the entrance. Find the entrance. That's Jesus. There's only one way in. John 14, 6, Jesus said it clearly. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. You don't get into heaven except going through the Son of God, Jesus. Don't miss the gate, he's saying. I've covered a lot in his... Yeah, through his sermon, but we want everyone to understand, don't miss the way in. Don't miss the entrance. The crowd is not going to point you in that direction. And then number two, make sure you don't get led astray. 
Don't get chased onto the wrong road for your life through self-effort, through self-deception, through false teaching. Don't get chased down the wrong road and miss the gate. And then number three, make sure you don't get self-deceived. That's what these last two passages are for, really are referring to. Verse 21 through 27. This is a warning. Do You don't want to get self-deceived. Make sure you're not kidding yourself, thinking, I'm okay, when really you're not okay. Make sure that's not you. These two final passages give two categories of people who are self-deceived. Verses 21 through 22 where it says, there's this group that says, Lord, Lord, you know, not everyone, he says, who say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 22, on that day, many will say to me, that's the first category, the verbal professions. You can verbally profess and be self-deceived is what he's saying. And then verses 24 through 27, there are those with intellectual knowledge. Those are people who hear the words but do nothing with it. There's knowledge without action. They've heard it, but they, but they remain undecided or they just they never put it into action. They never responded. And it says, for the one who verbally professes, for the one who has mere intellectual knowledge, it's not going to be enough. That life falls apart, and great is that fall. And we can be deluded about a lot of things in life, but if you're deluded about this issue of truly knowing Jesus, that will impact your eternal destiny. And so Jesus says this. He says, check it out carefully. Do not be deceived. And and I fear that multitudes of people think they're okay when in fact they're not okay. That's why Jesus is saying, look, you know, when you're self-deceived, oftentimes you don't even know that you're. When you're given into deception, that's like, oh, I drank the juice. Now I believe my own press. I believe the lies. And so he says, check this stuff out. The Bible is filled with warnings about being deceived. I want to read just one other warning in the scripture. This is Matthew 25. Jesus gives this parable of the ten virgins. Matthew 25, 1 through 13. It's not on the screen. I'm just going to read it from my Bible. It says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. The bridegroom is symbolic of Jesus and his return. And the virgins symbolizes the church. The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out and meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. Verse 9, But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. Verse 10, And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. It's essentially the same message that Jesus gives in the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 13, Watch therefore, here's the warning again, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. And this, the Bible is filled with warnings about being self-deceived. The bottom line, have you surrendered your life, your whole life, to Him? Do you live in obedience to the Word of God? When you don't, if you know Him and you get off track, 
Is there conviction from God's spirit that leads you to turn around? That, that's, that's what you want to be looking for. If you know Christ, Romans 8 verses 11 through 16 gives a little bit of a test on this issue as well. It talks about how the spirit of God speaks inside of us and calls us back to God. God's spirit cooperates with our, or, you know, he communicates with our spirit and bears witness that we are the children of God. And his spirit convicts us of sin and leads us to turn around. If he is Lord, then that means he's the boss of your life. He's guiding your life. We want to make sure that you don't miss that. We don't want you to miss the right entrance. We don't want you to be wandering off on the wrong road and deceived by yourself or by someone who's falsely teaching something that is misguided. Um, our, our hope is that you would connect with Jesus in a very real way. I know some of you, this is like the first time you ever come to our church, and, and you're like, wow, I came to a heavier message. And um, Jesus in this verse, he does that. He just kind of, he draws them close, and then he draws the line. And you know what? One of the things that drew me in was counting the cost of following him. And there was a lot of things preventing me from following him. I wanted to be in control of my life, and maybe that's what's holding you back. Would you take out that connection card as our, usher, as our ushers prepare for our offering and our worship team joins us up on the stage? Here's some next steps to consider today. Number one, to be memorized, Matthew 7, 13, and 14. That's the verses that we began with, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard. At least life, and those who find it are few. That might be something to memorize and begin to mull on, because that's going to come up all your life. Especially once you decide to follow Jesus, just keeping in mind, I'm going to have to keep walking on that narrow road all my life. Number two is consider the cost of following Jesus. What's holding you back? It's a free gift to experience new life in Jesus. It's free. You don't have to earn this gift. He offers this freely, but... What, what, what's holding you back? For me, I, like I said, and for many people, it's control. just didn't want to give over control of my life. I wanted to be in charge. For some, it's pride. For some, it's fear of rejection. For some, it's guilt and shame over the things we've done. You can have freedom from all of that. But consider, what, what would it cost me to follow Jesus? What's holding me back? Number three, for the first time, follow Christ as my Lord and as my Savior. If you're ready, I'd encourage you, mark that box. If you're ready to respond to him, um, even better, if you want to stop by our guest and information table, I'll be back there, a couple of our staff. I'll, I'll have a lady there as well if you prefer to speak with a lady. And we would just love to help you nail this down or sort through it. If you're ready and you're like, man, I, I just need to know where I stand with God. I'm ready to turn my life to him, and I want to begin walking on that narrow road. I want to follow Jesus. We would love to help you with that today. So just come by and, and, and just just say, hey, I want to talk about today. We'll, we'll know what that means. Um, if you're a guest, we have uh, a book back there. And if you're like, oh, I don't want to walk back there to get the book because he's going to think I need to talk to him about something more serious. So just point to the book and I'll know what that means. And uh, the last thing is resist the pull to follow the majority. In a moment, we're going to receive our offering. And, and Scott said some of the things we've got coming up. Um, our offering goes to support the work of our church here and some of the things that we're doing. If you came prepared to give, then you can use that offering envelope, drop that in the basket. You can give in any of these other ways. Right now, the, our giving is, is um, making impact as we're planning for that service next week to launch a new series. 
called Suburban Myths, where we're going to be um, opening up and looking at Ecclesiastes, the book in the Old Testament, and talking about some of the myths that you find that we hope our life will mean something more if we would just do this or that. And so we're going to uncover some of those myths. And then we've got Lyft coffee and these donuts. And the backpack drive, I uh, wanted to just briefly tell you a little bit about that. We'll share with you more next week. Um, it's actually really surprising how many children are in need of school supplies, even in our city, and even in our part of Riverside right up here. We've gotten in preliminary contact with a few of the schools in Orange Gust even. And in each case, the school reported that a number of kids come to school without the supplies that they really need to be successful in school. And so we want to help in the way that we give towards, um, towards that. Uh, the numbers range from anywhere from 20 to 40 kids per school that need that, but they say they'll take as many backpacks as we can provide to them. And so uh, one teacher just said it's that there's kids that literally walk into school and their backpacks from the start are falling apart, and sometimes parents just do not have the money to allocate to school supplies and new backpacks, and so because other things like groceries and gas are, are just more urgent. And so we want to make a difference in the schools of our community and we want to be a help to these kids. And so our goal is to provide 200 backpacks to um, our local schools. And so you can help one of two ways. Number one, beginning next week, you can give beyond our regular giving to the backpack drive. And we're just going to purchase backpacks. We've got a company that we can buy them um, in bulk and buy supplies for about $15 per backpack. Uh, beyond that, if you want, you can you could also just get backpacks, uh, get a new backpack, and get supplies and we'll we'll provide the supply list to you next week and so we love if if all of us would consider how to be generous in that way let's pray god thank you for this time thank you for your word i pray that as we've looked at a very difficult passage of scripture that you would do your work calling people into relationship with you that we would see more people choosing to enter through the gate and walk on that narrow road that leads to life and that we would be a part of helping more people come to know you and growing up in you Lord would you help us to be faithful to do your kingdom work lives of people in this church teaching the truth from your word, but then also aiming to be making an impact in this community for the world around us. Lord, thank you for the privilege you've given us to do ministry and life and to join you, God, in your kingdom work. I pray for the offering we're about to receive in this upcoming backpack drive. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be a real blessing to many, many families and children at schools. Lord, help us to be a light as you call us to be present these offerings to you. We pray that you would be pleased with it, Lord, as we seek to grow in these areas. In Jesus' name.